I'm sorry I was late. I was busy saving lives. I'm Dr. Rob Tarswell. I've got the colloidal silver blues. I'm Joe Fulgham. A homeopathoplex. That's one hell of a water balloon. I'm Kevin Leeson. I'm Torn Atkinson. Step right up, folks, and treat yourself to a bottle of energizing, moisturizing, tantalizing, revitalizing caustic soda. Ah! Bam! Quackery. Quack. Quack, quack. Word origin. Uh, the word quack derives from the archaic word quacksalver, which is of Dutch origin, literally meaning hawker of salve. Uh, in the Middle Ages, the word quack meant shouting, and the quacksalver sold their wares on the market shouting in a loud voice. Huh. Got some cares for you. Yeah, so. Hooray, hooray, hooray. And it's kind of fitting because especially the way that we're looking at this, it's about things that are being aggressively promoted as cures that tend to not be cures. Not even tend to. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of like fake stuff out there that, um, you know, you can buy that causes no harm, but that's not really what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about a little bit of them because some of those will lead you to not seek actual treatment for a horrible disease. You know, if you've got something horrible and you go drink a bunch of water, which would be homeopathy, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't do anything for you, that's a bad thing. So we'll talk about that. But mostly, yeah, we're going to talk about things that end up with horrible outcomes. And who's this person sitting in the chair next to me? Well, you should recognize him. We've had him here several times. I don't remember him. It's Dr. Rob. Ah, Dr. Rob. Doing a microphone check for us. (laughs) Phobias. I didn't find any fear of quackery, but iatrophobia is the fear of doctors. Mm -hmm. Pharmacophobia is the fear of taking medicine. And anatidaphobia is the fear that somewhere, somehow, a duck is watching you. Ah, nice. That's from the the first two really don't apply because, you know, there are no doctors or actual medicine involved in most of these stories. It could be that you take the quackery product because you fear doctors and actual medicine. A lot of Uh quacks do have doctorates, but just not in medicine. Or call themselves doctors. No, there are plenty of um, medical doctor quacks out there. Nice. Some very prominent ones on the internet, but actually. But I, I seem to remember that there are some quacks who started college so that they give themselves a degree. That oh, yeah. sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can have put... Uh, That's about as common as dirt. Let, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm a doctor of philosophy, so I think I can tell what's going to cure cancer. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then there's always Dr. Phil. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or uh, who's the new one Is now? he a quack? No, he's got his PhD in psychology. He's actually licensed, but in industrial and organizational psychology... What does that mean? That would be... Not, op- not Oprah guest? <laughs> Getting your workers. <laughs> yeah, Oprah guestology. That's what he specialized in. I mean, the reason he met Oprah was because when Oprah got sued by all the cattle farmers, she met Dr. Phil through the process of jury selection. He was working for a company that makes suggestions about jury selection. And so what he would do is he would do interviews with potential jurors and then give his opinion as to whether they were going to side favorably, likely to side favorably or not with the... This is America, right? Everything's everything's for fucking sale, Mm. right? (laughs) Including the jury of your peers. So she was so impressed with him that she started giving him spots on her show and kaboom, he went from there. Wow. His his nine minute, I will berate you until you cry, and that's the cure. Nice. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Although I do, there's one line by Dr. Phil that I still really respect as he's talking to this little obese kid. And well, Billy, maybe one cheeseburger is enough. (laughs) 
And I'm like, yeah. Give this guy a doctorate. I mean, he really is a doctor. He figured that out. Yeah. Maybe one cheeseburger is enough. My favorite Dr. Philism was that dog don't hunt around here. <laughs> Quackery is a derogatory term used to describe the promotion of unproven or fraudulent medical practices. Uh, we also use the terms uh, health fraud, although we're kind of dealing with the uh, aggressive promotion of it as well, rather than just the fraud, greed, and misinformation. And pseudomedicine is a term for treatments that are ineffective, regardless of whether or not people are hawking them or promoting them. Okay. In the United States, false medicines in the late 19th and early 20th centuries were often denoted by the slang term snake oil. Uh, originally from China. Really? And still used there as a remedy for inflammation and pain in rheumatoid arthritis, bursitis, similar conditions. Chinese laborers building the North American Transcontinental Railroad gave snake oil to Europeans with joint pain. And when rubbed on the skin, it was claimed to bring relief. Wait, this is oil from snakes? Yes. Yeah, you'd like squeeze oh. a snake. <laughs> yeah. uh, how oily are snakes? How do they feel I, I, oily? That's how tightly you squeeze. I know they feel really dry. They look oily, mm -hmm. but they're very dry. The claim was ridiculed by rival medicine salesmen selling patent medicines. In time, snake oil became a generic name for many compounds marketed as panaceas or miraculous remedies, whose ingredients are usually secret, unidentified, or mischaracterized, and mostly inert or ineffective, although the placebo effect and liberal quantities of alcohol might provide some relief for many problems. <laughs> that, that, you can end just about any sentence or any sort of conclusion with that. Liberal amounts of alcohol yeah. seem to <laughs> cure a lot of things. <laughs> hey, man, I drank this potion and I feel better. Now, does anyone here know when the Food and Drug Act uh, came into being? No, when was Ooh, that? 1932? No, earlier than that, actually. Oh, 1913? People I... actually cared what our food and drug contained. 1906. Wow. I'm surprised by that. That would have been, that's earlier than I would have anticipated. Since there was no federal regulation in the U.S. concerning safety and effectiveness of drugs until the FDA, and various medicine salesmen or manufacturers seldom had enough chemistry skill to analyze the contents of snake oil, it became the archetype of hoax. Hmm. I know that in 1909, in an attempt to stop the sale of quack medicines, the British Medical Association published Secret Remedies, What They Cost and What They Contain. Hmm. And it had 20 chapters organized by sections according to the ailments that the medicines claim to treat. Oh. All right. Okay. So kind of like a uh, who's who of quackery. So, yeah, we've got over 100 years of going, okay, this is bullshit. Can you guys stop taking this? Yes, please. But stop. one, of, one let, of the... Let the market dictate. One of the... Um, well, this is the problem. The market does dictate, right? Not science. And one of the interesting things about the uh, Food and Drug Act is due to some intense lobbying of a couple of senators who were very warm on homeopathy, the homeopathic pharmacopoeia was basically given a carte blanche pass. Pharmacopoeia? Yes, that's the big book of homeopathic drugs. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so under um, sort of obscure clause in the Food and Drug Administration, homeopathic remedies are not required to undergo the same standard of testing as right. pharmacological agents. I mean, they're mostly water, so that's fine, but it's awfully profitable water that does nothing. Yeah. So this oh, is. Oh, it quenches your thirst. This sir. is part of the, po the, the the political power of homeopathy in the U.S., which is you know a big part of what keeps it alive. It cures dehydration, didn't you know? This is a good time then to talk about kind of the most common types of quackery. Oh, uh, let's do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Rob talked about homeopathy, so let, I'll talk about that. Homeopathy is a practice created in the late 1700s by a man named Samuel Hahnemann, and the core concepts of homeopathy are that like cures like. 
The example, okay. the example that I like to bring up is to cure sleeplessness, you would use caffeine because caffeine causes sleeplessness. The way that they get All around right. the fact that this is supposed to cause it is that dilution increases the effectiveness. So let me just get this straight for like cures like. Yeah. Right. So if I had a burn. Right. The, Let, in theory, the cure for that would be a smaller burn? Yeah. Or uh, I don't know if you could make a homeopathic solution of fire. but Well, you could perhaps, make one of caustic soda. Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> which would cause chemical burns normally. But okay. then you dilute it down. All right. Okay. Unfortunately, that would be one that might work because if you diluted it down enough, you just have water, and if you were still burning, that would put it oh, out. Okay. Nah. Well, I'm not on fire. I just have a burn. Mm-hmm. So the second, <laughs> the second part is dilution, and it doesn't just mean dilute it a little bit. It means dilute it to typically ridiculous amounts, like powers of ten, uh, powers of a hundred. In fact, the typical way that they measure solutions is their C rating. Uh, a one C solution would be one part to a hundred, so oh, hundred to one. C so meaning a hundred. I get right. it. Mm-hmm. So a 1C solution would be one part caffeine in 100 parts water or sugar or whatever else, but it's typically water. You will never find a homeopathic 1C solution, uh, or well, I can't say never. You will rarely find that because that would actually mean it has active ingredient in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a typical homeopathic solution is more like a 30C. So anybody who can kind of understand how the math works in this... Which is not me. Uh, yeah, definitely not me. Well, a 1C means 1 in 100. Yeah. If you then take that 1 in 100 solution and you put it one part of that into 100 parts of water again, so you dilute it another C, that's a 2C solution, which that then... That 200. So that's no, 1 in 10, that's 000. 1 in 10,000. Basically, oh. you're, you're adding 2 to the number of zeros you're at the end zeros. of the time. So 3C mm. would be 1 in a million. So what would a 30C be So then? 30C, the standard solution, would be uh, one part in one with 60 zeros after it. What's the, what's the official well, number for the 16 zeros? I don't, uh, I don't think <laughs> Not we a have, Googleplex. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't think we have a, an official designation okay. for 60 it's, zeros. Is there that it's, much water a, in, in the whole world? Well, I did the math on this. Wolfram Alpha was very helpful. In order to have one molecule of caffeine in a homeopathic sleeplessness solution, uh-huh. you would have to have 1 times 10 to the 60th water molecules. I'm going to throw out a homeopathoplex. A homeopathoplex. That's okay. pretty good, <laughs> although I don't want to give them any kind of good names. <laughs> <laughs> the mass of 1 times 10 to the 60th water molecules would be 3 times 10 to the 34 kilograms. So you can multiply that okay. by 2.2 to get so about 6.5 times that many, 10 to the 34 pounds. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, For our metric if, to imperial conversion. Yeah. If this were a sphere of water at typical, you know, just liquid water densities. So water balloon. If this year, yeah, if this were a balloon full of water, that then somewhere... With one molecule with of... With one molecule of active caffeine. caffeine inside it, the radius of that sphere would be 19 million kilometers. How big is that? That's about half the radius of mercury around the sun. Oh, the orbit. Mercury orbiting around the sun. You go halfway between Mercury and the sun, and then you make that into a sphere around the sun. So if you drank a glass of that, the chance of you getting the active ingredient. Oh, my goodness. No, you know why? Because you'd have to go pee like 40 million times before you actually finished it. But none it. of that matters because doesn't doesn't the water have the memory of the active ingredient? It's like a, <laughs> this is what they claim. that it was in there, and so that the power thereof is in the water. This is how they get around the fact that there's nothing scientifically viable or plausible about their idea is that they claim that water has memory. They also do this thing called 
secession. What they do is they also strike it with an elastic body, whether it's a leather paddle or what tuning forks. I know. Really? It's, <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know this. To get the vibrations This going gets the vibrations. Oh, okay. To get it lined up. They slap it. With the memory of the active compound. They slap it in their beaker or whatever they've got it in and get let's yeah to jog their to literally jog the memories yes the memory of the water this is how they get around questions like well doesn't water remember all the poop it's had in it oh i see oh, you but slapped nobody the slapped poop out of it and all the malaria oh no it didn't didn't slap yeah. it so if you're pooping don't slap your toilet because yeah, you might add that, that poop, poop memory right out of the water into your toilet or right into the water but then that might cure dirtiness oh my goodness but that water would if you dilute it down enough. What happens to lakes in earthquakes? Do they suddenly become homeopathic become fish? This explains uh, Bigfoot. <laughs> I, don't, uh-huh. I don't know how. Now, so all the listeners out there, the next time their kid gets a bad score on their pop quiz, all they need to do is slap the memory back into them. Slap him with the book he failed. Ah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Now, the go. unfortunate part about homeopathic water memory is Nobel laureate Luc Montagnier who was the first person to identify that HIV, the HIV virus, was what was causing AIDS. And he found the virus in France. So um, a remarkable genius who has earned his place forever in the history of science has gotten behind water memory. So, yes, yes. (laughs) Luke, if you're listening, stop. Go back to microbiology, please. (laughs) Well, this all sounds very crazy. It it is crazy. I'm, I'm no scientist. Homeopathy is one of those things that when I talk about it with people who don't know much about it, they think, oh, well, that's herbal remedies, right? It's, some herbs are good for you. No, that's not what it is at all. Right. Homeopathy is crazy magic. It does not work. Dr. Rob, can you explain sure. to a guy like me how it gained such a fervent following? Yeah, like, absolutely. How did, get, like, how did it get to this place? I mean, when it first started, um, medicine was not like its modern self. Yeah, this, um, it started like in the 17th century. 18th century. Yeah, 18th, 18th century. 18th right. century. Okay. All and right. at about this time, medicine, I mean, we had just discovered microscopes. We were still working out anatomy Right. You know, it, it, finally, you could uh, we start, actually dissect cadavers without uh, getting burned at the stake or we, you know grounded in your house for the rest of your people life. People were starting to think that maybe it wasn't humors that kept right. the engine yeah, running. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's look at what's actually going on in the body. Well, mm-hmm. these things had just gotten underway, but of course, you still had a lot of um, really crazy authority-based legacy code left mm-hmm. in medical textbooks, which often was awful, painful, and frequently fatal. You have to think about the culture at the time. Uh, You know, physicians and surgeons were associated with universities. They had the aristocratic power. Mm -hmm. And Hahnemann comes along and says, well, you know, let's try really dilute things, gentle things. And since most people with most illnesses get better in time, essentially what Hahnemann's advocating is, well, you know, be nice and don't do much. And surprise, surprise, right? The homeopathic hospitals... We're saying, hey, you know, people are coming in here and they're getting, they're walking out alive. Yeah, right. (laughs) They're pretty happy about that. So historically, homeopathy had that going for it. But eventually, you know, medicine starts getting rid of the legacy code, updating and discovering things like pathology. Using the scientific method. Using the scientific method, Mm, right? Right. And so pharmacology comes along because medicine uh, hitched its sort of cart to science Whereas uh, homeopathy just kind of just ossified in the late 18th century. What does yeah. that mean to ossify? Yeah, what does ossify mean? Does that mean oh. it became a bird? 
<laughs> no, it sort of just kind of froze it and got petrified. Kind of it petrified, became like bone, right? So yeah. the homeopath- homeopathic dogma has has utterly you, failed to progress. Did you just say that you have a boner for homeopathy? <laughs> I think homeopaths a di- do. Very, <laughs> uh, a 30 C boner. <laughs> <laughs> That's very dilute, people. Yeah. And then in the 1930s, um, the homeopathic pharmacopoeia got basically um, sort of a little buy, squeak, into the Food and Drug Act, and ta-da! And here we are. And here we are, yeah. Other types of quackery, probably the one that pops first in your mind would be the, the herbal and folk remedies, you know, the magic potions, the, uh, like, the snake uh, oil, as yeah. it were. The, uh, the the rhinoceros horn that gives you a boner. Right, exactly. They, uh... They're often touted as a natural alternative to medicine. Uh, natural doesn't necessarily mean good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can mean good for you. There certainly are some natural remedies. Uh, magic we'll... mushrooms. I, if, if it's a you, good remedy to sanity. Yeah, yeah it's a good remedy to reality. It's a good remedy to boring old normalcy. <laughs> Medicine tends to look at these things and figure out why they work if they work or that they don't work if they don't work. We get the actual active ingredient down and fix it so mm. that the other stuff's not in there. I think aspirin's a really good example of that, uh, derived from willow bark. People would chew willow bark and their headaches would go away. Right. That was a natural remedy. And it was a natural, a natural remedy. remedy. But they would get violently ill and throw up. Oh. So some clever chemist came along and uh, said, let's see what we can do with this salicylic acid in willow bark, which seems to be the active ingredient. And he acetylated it, making acetyl salicylic acid, or right. ASA, and his name was Dr. Bayer. He died a very wealthy man. There you um, go. But it's not all about the money. <laughs> not all about the money. <laughs> Tell that to the makers of Viagra. Or the Chinese I had, I, I, one of my uh, first professors in medical school had a great way of describing herbal remedies broadly. He said they, they had three actions. It's either TU, RF, or DN. And Hold on. This is a pop quiz. Can we guess what TF, RU, and DN T- means? T- I think you got every one of those wrong. <laughs> <laughs> TU, RF, and DN. Sure, you want to go for it? Okay. T-U. TU. Give uh, us the first one. Throw up. Throw up. Throw up. Okay. okay. All right. And then what's the second one? RF. 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 Uh, radio frequency. Uh, really fine. Uh, Means nothing happens. Rectal fortitude. <laughs> Close. Run faster. Okay. Oh, so okay. Expulsions from the other end. And DN? Uh, DN uh... does nothing. Exactly. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it makes, so makes you vomit or have diarrhea or it doesn't do anything. Right. Okay. So, that, that yeah, that's the, the universal outcome of herbal remedies. Well, isn't one of the things about all these natural uh, pills and whatnot is that you don't necessarily know how much active ingredient slash medicine you're getting in a dose? That used to be the because case. Because it's not, reg- it's not yeah. measured properly? or Yeah. So now, actually, um, uh, drugs have always had to have a DIN or a drug identification number with a lot number. So that way, those can be randomly audited by independent chemical laboratories to determine whether the active ingredient is in there and whether it's in the, at the stated amount that the pharmacological manufacturer says it is. So recently, Health Canada, within the last decade or so, introduced something called the NPM or the Natural Product Number. Mm. So now, at the very least, um, there's a degree of regulation on natural products so that they actually have to have the ingredient in the amount they claim in there. Natural okay. products still do not have to meet the bar of proving efficacy in randomized controlled trials against placebos. That seems weird. That now, really... is, this, is this sort of standard across like all Western nations, or is this unique to Canada now? It's, I believe it's unique 
to Canada, America is much more of a free for all. I mean, right. FDA. Uh, Europe would be would be would vary quite widely I from think. country to country. Yeah, yeah. Britain Britain would be the the right. the, the toughest, and I'm. I think France would be among the, the more lax uh, nations in terms All right, of natural so products. So, U.S. Regulation. listeners, if you want to know uh, what's in your placebos, come to Canada. So, what's colloidal silver? What is? Because what uh, we've mentioned that now twice, and I still don't know what it is. Is it, it? It's the material in a quarter, right? In the early part of the 20th century, medicines containing microscopic silver particles were sold as a way to cure infections, and they were popular as nose drops. Okay. In the grim, and this is coming from, I should point out, the world's worst, a guide to the most disgusting, hideous, inept, and dangerous people, places, and things on earth. It's a staple of my research for plastic oh, soda. Nice. It's a surprisingly small book. <laughs> In the grim era before antibiotics, colloidal silver solutions were one of the only ways to treat infections. While it's true that microscopic silver particles have some germ-killing properties, much more effective and safer drugs have since replaced them. Uh Unfortunately, quick buck hucksters push colloidal silver on the internet. They claim that big drug companies and the government have conspired to suppress this miracle drug, of course. There is a vast list of things that they're supposed to cure. I'll only list a few of them. Uh-huh. AIDS. Oh, really? Blood parasites. Okay. Cancer. Uh-huh. Dandruff. Gonorrhea. Dandruff. Leprosy. Imagine warts. getting your cancer cured and then also clearing up your dandruff. Handy. I know. Colloidal silver. These right. kinds of broad claims are just a major red flag yeah, for whenever, quackery. Whenever something cures everything? Yeah, that's it. It means it doesn't do anything. Right. The only thing the hucksters don't claim colloidal silver can treat is argyria. Ar-geria. I'm guessing it's caused by colloidal silver. A-R-G-Y-R-I-A. <laughs> An irreversible blue-gray skin condition caused by the ingestion of silver. Woo-hoo! Oh, there you go. <laughs> Argyria first shows up under the fingernails and around the mouth and nose, then spreads across the surface of the skin. The skin literally turns into a living photographic plate, becoming dark when exposed to light and chemicals in the body. Unfortunately, there's no way to unexpose the skin once it takes on this ghastly corpse-like color. Crazy. We are totally putting this picture up from Wikipedia. Look at this dude. He's blue. He looks like a purple-blue alien. Is that man... That looks like yeah, something you put in front of your house on Halloween. Yeah, he looks like a corpse. That he poor looks man. like a walking corpse. Wow. In 1996, a woman named Rosemary told uh, what it is like to have Argyria. In 1953, when she was 11 years old, her doctor prescribed colloidal silver nose drops for her colds. 1953? That late in the process? At the age of 14. Yeah, they were selling it. I have an ad from the, uh, I think from the 80s or 90s here. Oh, you can buy it silver. now. Yeah. Right, but in 1953, a doctor prescribed it. Yeah. Uh, at the age of 14, a pharmacist looked at her one day and said, why are you that color? <laughs> Soon after, it became obvious to everyone that Rosemary was ash gray. She stopped taking the drops, but the condition did not clear up. Seeking a solution, Rosemary underwent dermabrasion to get rid of the layer of oh, stained no. skin. This sounds like going from bad to worse. But it was only partially successful. Her face is now bluish gray with pink blotches. Ah, nice. And in 2002, Montana's libertarian candidate for the United States Senate, 63-year-old Stan Jones, uh, skin turned blue from years of drinking home-brewed silver solution. What? Say Why that again. Why was he home-brewing his silver solution? This is clearly you somebody... You can't trust the government to make that silver <laughs> solution he's, for he's you. He's in the government! <laughs> He lost the election. Oh, Spoiler alert. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, he started drinking the silver elixir, which he made by placing silver wires in a glass of water and running electricity through them. No, no, no. <laughs> because he was concerned that a Y2K catastrophe could result in an antibiotic shortage. 
But, but <laughs> there's too many questions, too little time. He regrets uh, only that he overdosed in the solution and remains convinced of its curative properties. Well, he's crazy. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like anything was wrong with him. Yeah. Well, he had, you know, unfortunately flesh-toned skin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Another form of quackery would be detoxification, which is the idea that our bodies are full of toxins by environmental factors, such as pollutants, metals, chemicals, uh, which are usually found in the air, food, and water. Eating tricks. Eating tricks. I'm sure there are toxins in tricks, according to these people. The reason that you can't tell if there are toxins in tricks is because they don't really tell you what they are. They're just, oh, they're just toxins. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I know, especially in the film and television industry, that believe highly in in cleanses and detoxes. And uh, the the master cleanse is the one that that is probably the most common. I don't know if anybody's heard of this one. Yeah. Master cleanse. All you do the for cleanse to lord over all, all other cleanses. Yeah, wow. for seven days. The Sith cleanse. For seven days, all you do is you don't eat any food. You just drink this solution of lemon juice, cayenne pepper, and something else. There's a third ingredient, and honey. I think mm. that's like the you drink this brew. For an entire week, what and does our don't medical experts have to say? About contain that? anything else? <laughs> Healthy or not? I think I would generally recommend against seven day fasts under most circumstances. Well, it shows you what you actually know. under all circumstances. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get an effect out of that, and uh, it, you might take that to be a good effect. Like you might convince yourself, "Wow, look at all this! Look how little probably, I'm pooping." What happens at the end of the seven hunger. days, though? Yeah. Uh, but, cheeseburger party <laughs> no you definitely do not want to do that, that well one probably... cheeseburger might be enough billy <laughs> extreme detoxification rituals involve starving extreme exercise excessive water drinking vitamin mega dosing hydrotherapy which is cleaning out your colon with water mm-hmm. and unusual diets ironically most people attempting to, de- to detoxify end up dying of liver failure oh there you go the nice. liver being the organ that is already very good at cleaning crap out of your system and you can also end up dying from starvation and malnutrition so here's a medical question. Yeah. If your liver is cleans the crap out of your system, yeah. doesn't it just accumulate all the crap? No, 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 no. You pee it out. No, you don't pee it out. You poo it out. You poo it out, right? Because you think about what your, your liver does. Your liver, one of the end products of the liver is bile. And bile is essentially sort of a breakdown product from hemoglobin from dead red blood cells. Right. right. This is why so, your so poo the- is brown. This is why your poo is brown. Is this bile b- salts are brown. Is this the bile that rises in the back of my throat when I'm enraged by something? Yes, and it is also the bile that comes if you're having what we would call bilious vomit oh, from, a, nice. from an intestinal obstruction. I like the term bilious. It's much better than feculent vomit, oh. <laughs> which is if you have a blockage lower down. <laughs> Feculies, <laughs> the Greek god of poo. And the irony, I mean, if you want to put this into a bit of a historical context, think about what it would have been like, say, living in London in the rise of industrialization. I Do mean, I have to? <laughs> No, you don't have to. <laughs> but, you know, this would have been the era of porta potties getting dumped on the road, right. horses yeah. shitting in the street, right. and black coal filth coming out of factories. In that era, there were lots of toxins in the environment. Uh, right. right. Okay. These days, it's fascinating. Well, I, All we have is Wi Fi to toxinize. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. We, we live longer than we ever have, mm-hmm. and there's never been a greater fear of uh, poor health and toxins. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hence the need for the master cleanse. All right. It seems like that worry about your health is almost a survival trait 
Hmm. But it's now because we don't actually have to worry about it. it the trade is still there. It sort of locks onto things. So we're like, well, no, something must be wrong. There must be something I can do to live longer. And so you grab onto whatever you can. Could be. Yeah, Could and then be. the one thing that's wrong is hypochondria. So the you know the, the bad news for listeners is most of the toxins in your body are made by your body. For instance, when you are metabolizing protein, one of the products of that is ammonia, which you ought never to drink. No. Um, but... Be- by evolutionary quirk, uh, your body makes lots of that, which then gets rapidly converted into urea through something called the urea cycle, and then mm. that gets transported to the kidney, and that's the stuff that makes your urine yellow. I, the, the urea cycle is my least favorite setting on my washing machine. Well, it might explain why the clothes are yellow. Mm, that's why I'm saying. So Never the use message it. is, trust your liver. Trust your <laughs> liver. I'm getting a t-shirt made. <laughs> and give it a break. Three days a week. Uh, Kevin's uh, laughing. Yeah, like, Easier said than done, Dr. Rob. <laughs> Energy medicines is another type of quackery. We see a lot of this uh, recently. There's been a big resurgence of this uh, thanks to quantum uh, physics. Is this, is this from Napoleon Dynamite? Is this that, thing, that machine that he buys off the internet and electrocutes himself with? I don't know. I don't remember that. I don't remember that part either. The bit where he puts the puts the crown on his head and he sits there and holds the two electrodes, like starts to. I guess that would be energy medicines or anything that change your chakras, realigns your quote energy alignment. What does that mean? What is a chakra? It doesn't mean anything. Well, it must mean something. They make up a thing so that they can make up things about that thing that they fix. Your chakras out of alignment. Well, where's your chakra detector? Oh, I. I can sense it. It's your aura. Your chakra is your... It's my spirit. Your spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, roughly speaking, chakras and chi could be considered the Eastern version of the four humors. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. And there's more of them. There's nine of them? Are there nine chakras? Uh, boy, I don't know. I gotta know. I think you have eight. I can't properly treat my okay. chakra misalignment if I don't know how many I've got. <laughs> yeah. Well, if oh, you've got, seven. If you've got seven, they're automatically misaligned because you've got an odd number. <laughs> you have they're, not, they're not horizontally aligned. Oh, okay. unless you're unless you're out of alignment. They are. <laughs> you have a crown chakra, a third eye chakra, a throat chakra, a heart chakra, That's a solar right. plexus chakra, a sacral chakra, Ooh, and a base chakra. or root chakra. Is the base root chakra in my bum hole? No, no. Come it forward. Like oh, <laughs> my pee hole in your taint. A little further forward. A little further forward than that. It's my favorite chakra. Oh, okay. All right. Another place that's a really big source of quackery is actually chiropractic. As we all know, chiropractics, uh, chiropractic doctors, chiropractic physicians uh, believe in spinal adjustments for solving problems. Now, I don't know that everyone does know that. I think that for a lot of people, chiropractic... Chiropractic massage therapy is the same thing. Right. Okay. It's it's so not. It might be important yeah. to specify. I, I was a roommate for about a month. There was a dude sleeping on my couch back when I was in college, and he was going to chiropractic school. And I just I, I kind of wanted to know more about it because it, it seems it's a very closed door, kind of secretive sort of thing, it feels like. Yeah. And I was asking him about what he's learning in class, and he started talking about about energy fields and auras and right. colors and all the rest of this stuff and i'm like wait a minute isn't, this, isn't chiropractic school like a medical school he's like oh no it's not medical school at all and i'm like yeah i think oh, most people think this that is chiropractic people are just back doctors yeah. right and they're yeah but they're they are absolutely not. not yeah now there you are going to it's kind of hard to start ragging on chiropractors because there are reasonable ones out there there are ones who will 
uh, help you give you exercises to help strengthen your back if that's where your back problems are coming from who are more physical therapists uh, but there's a wide variety of them who think that chiropractic spinal adjustments can cure nearly anything how about the ones that AIDS, are starting cancer yes uh, how about yes the, how about the ones that are telling their, their adult patients that they should bring in their infant children to right. get back adjustments before they can even walk so that they will grow up to be bigger and stronger as a result. Yeah, these are exactly the kinds of unfounded, dangerous claims that, that a lot of chiropractors are making. Yeah, like 10 years ago, 60 Minutes did like a hidden camera sort of expose on this stuff. And it was big in the southern states where they were bringing in like literally infant crib like based children, you know, under a year of age to get their backs adjusted. Right. It's criminal. Yeah, and a chiropractic neck adjustment can actually increase your chance of a stroke. It can cause a stroke immediately. In 1993, Christy A. Bedenbow consulted a chiropractor seeking relief from the pain of sinus headaches. During her second visit, uh, the chiropractor manipulated her neck, and she immediately suffered a stroke. She died three days later, one day before her 25th birthday. The autopsy revealed that the manipulation had split the inside walls of both of her vertebral, vertebral arteries, causing the walls to balloon and block the blood supply to the lower part of her brain. Additional studies concluded that the blood clots had formed on the days the manipulation took place, meaning that it was definitely this chiropractic adjustment that yeah. did it. And in 1997, the State Board of Chiropractic Examiners of, Southern, of South Carolina issued a consent order in which the chiropractor agreed to pay a $1,000 fine and acquire 12 hours of continuing education credits in the areas of neurological disorders and emergency and response. And a stern talking to. Mm-hmm. $1,000 for killing somebody. Can't put a price tag on a human life, though. <laughs> and, and if you no, could. No, you can. It's $1,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a friend of mine in high school who, who twisted his back because he was a stock boy at Kmart. Yeah. And he started out, he's like, oh, I got to go to the chiropractor and get my back fixed. And he started out, he was going like once every four to six weeks. And like two years later... He was going like three times a week. Yeah, like it just because it, it, it feels so good. Yeah, it's like it's like the uh, the the back equivalent of crack cocaine, pretty much. It's instead of doing the hard work of rehab and physical therapy and all the rest of that stuff, you can go in and get your instant instant gratification. Your your back feels a little bit better after it's it's been cracked, but then two days later you need it again. Yeah, right? would yeah. you say it's like the Chinese food of back medicine? <laughs> I'd say that's apropos. Problem is that until the early 2000s, nobody had thought about the risk of chiropractic neck manipulation and association with stroke because sometimes these can be very delayed effects that can happen up to days later. You can get a partial dissection, Mm -hmm. and so the layers split apart a little bit. Right, but but pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure. Well, you've got constant pulsatile blood flow. It's like getting that that little hole in the sweater that becomes a bigger hole and a bigger hole and a bigger hole. Split. Split and then a week later you stroke out and everyone's like oh we don't understand you know why, why did this stroke he was a happen? perfectly healthy guy so it is actually not clearly known what the true incidence of neck manipulation induced stroke is because of course chiropractors aren't exactly banging down the doors to research prove, to prove that research they cause the risks right and then the second thing about chiropractic particularly I mean uh, they're 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 sort of two groups of chiropractic, the one who were more traditional with the, the, the founding, oh, what was the name of the founder of chiropractic? He was an American. D.D. Palmer. D.D. Palmer, yeah. And he got his start when he allegedly cured a deaf janitor through spinal manipulation. Right, I've heard about this. Right? And he came up with this theory of subluxation, 
and subluxation means joints that are out of alignment. And right. he said, okay, uh-huh. spinal joints out of alignment pinch the spinal nerves, which are exiting the spine. Uh-huh. And that compromised nerve supply leads to poor health in certain organs and organ systems. Right. Um, and the theory of subluxation, actually, interestingly, recently, a devastating review of subluxation was written by a chiropractor who oh. is saying, you what? know, look, guys, if, if we want to be taken seriously as healthcare providers, we've got to catch up with the 21st century and evidence-based medicine. So there is indeed this. And then the rest of the chiropractors went in and pulled out all his chakras. <laughs> Well, that, that I mean, there there are there are big intranicene wars within chiropractic itself. Right. Do they attack each other with like neck adjustments? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't do that. Um, that but would be awesome. There's lots of shunning and splits. Um, it's 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 a bit like a dysfunctional family, or you know, or or say Catholics and Protestants. I and can so, just imagine the Christmas dinners with all <laughs> yeah. those guys. So the okay. fully orthodox chiropractors would be the guys that would go so far as to deny the germ theory of disease. Right. Uh-huh. And, yeah. you know, if, hey, and if, if germs don't cause disease, why are we getting vaccinated? All you're doing is injecting these toxins into the body. And so chiropractors, particularly so-called straight chiropractors, are among the fiercest anti-vaccination advocates. And they were the ones, they've, they've been the ones all along saying, it's got nothing to do with the germ theory of disease. Ho, ho, ho. What yeah. are these germs? Let me crack your bag. That'll cure it all. It's so easy to, to solve that problem, though. Just start injecting them with diseases. <laughs> but if this doesn't cause it, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're the ones that are up against the guys who are saying, you know, look, uh, we treat a very limited range of musculoskeletal disorders, mainly focused on low back pain. So you can go to a, a chiropractor in Vancouver and who knows what kind of recommendation you're going to get. Right. And what's interesting in the U.S., there are chiropractic lobby groups that want themselves to be recognized as primary care providers on par with family physicians. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, so there's lots of money at stake. And so the, the political clout uh, and, and power are high. But don't, here's the thing. Don't be surprised if Caustic Soda gets a letter from the BC Chiropractic Association. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> we can put it up on our web page. Yeah, nice. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. Here's the question then. What's the lesser of two evils? Uh, stroke or chakra misalignment? <laughs> <laughs> I got to go chakras. <laughs> So they declare And olive oil is good upon a salad Also on the hair Though we know that castor oil Always cures the pain Banana oil is something new So just let me explain When he tells you I adore you That's banana oil And she answers I'll die for you That's banana oil He says, when I buy the stone, what a handsome ring you'll own. But the only ring she gets is on the telephone. You're the first boy ever kissed me. That's banana oil. And I wonder if you miss me. More banana oil. He says, I'll do right by now. Mother thinks that's simply swell. But Dad is wise and he knows right well. That's banana oil. Now, standard oil is always advertising. We know that's 
so. They claim their oil is far more popular than any kind we know. But there is still another oil seems to rank supreme. It's what we call banana oil. I'll tell you what I mean when a girl says I'm just 20. That's banana oil. And if money dad has plenty, that's banana oil. I wonder what become of maids used to wear their hair in braids when you took them dancing or did only lemonade. Yes, my hair is naturally curly. <laughs> That's banana oil, and I've got to be home early. More banana oil. Who says girls hate new clothes to wear? Who says older men won't stare? And who says our moms don't bob their hair? That's banana oil. <laughs> Dear, you look charming. That's banana oil. And she says I just love farming. More banana oil. Now here's one thing I'll tell you what. Big oil men I've met a lot, but the only oil those birds have got is just banana oil. In the history of. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The, 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 I don't know how to do the noise of turning parchment pages. <laughs> yeah. 221 BC. Oh, okay. All right. Call that history. Yeah. Later in his life, Emperor Qi Shi Huang feared death and obsessively sought the fabled elixir of life, which would allow him to live forever. Mm -hmm. I see where this is going. He fell prey <laughs> to many who offered him this supposed immortal medicine and was killed by drinking a mercury and powdered jade mixture formulated by his court scientists slash doctors slash alchemists. He drank powdered jade? And mercury. Uh, yeah, like, take, jade, the, take the mercury out of the equation. That's a little bit of minerals, I guess. That is going to be... Probably wouldn't sure. die from eating jade. That is no. going to be seriously uh, scrapey on the old... Uh, <laughs> no, not powdered jade. Powdered. No. It's like the same guys that eat glass, right? They just eat it down to define... Like sand, basically. Uh, it, it does fascinate me that, that it's the jade that's freaking you out, not the mercury. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we know enough about mercury that, you know, I don't eat as much sushi as I would like, but... Uh, mercury poisoning is not a good thing. Almost never. Much like liver failure and brain death, which is what, what he... What happened to him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah again, Brain like, death being more or less irreversible. <laughs> why <laughs> Why did people think mercury had a curative property, Dr. Probably because Rob, it was so shiny. Is it the shininess? Well, even up until the early 20th century, before the discovery of antibiotics, one of the cures for syphilis was mercury. Right. And it, it did work. Yeah, uh, it, cure, it cured it by killing you? It's one of those situations where what, you know, what's worse, the cure or the, the disease. disease? Hey, right. there's, there's a two evils. The lesser two evils right there. Syphilis or, or the cure, poisoning. the mercury cure. Right. Well, maybe we should save that for a syphilis episode. <laughs> yeah. Do, do. You've got a syphilis episode? We will. You're invited. Yeah. We're all going to get syphilis for it. Uh, excellent. <laughs> I was just drinking. You almost made me spit up coffee over my microphone. You're not going to invite a dirty sailor? <laughs> oh, it'll be a party. Oh, oh, that's how we're getting it. 
I'd also like to talk about the Museum of Quackery and Medical Frauds. I like the fact that there is a Museum of Quackery, that it even exists. I well, enjoy it, that. It was an actual uh, museum in and of itself um, put together by, Bob, uh, curator Bob McCoy. Okay. He retired and sadly died last year. Wait, is oh. he the real McCoy? He's the real McCoy. <laughs> but he did uh, retire and everything in the museum was moved to the Science Museum of Minnesota. So if you're in Minnesota, be sure to check that out. Yeah, the Science Museum has, here's all the science and here's the not science. Exactly. Oh, I like that. I like it's the, in uh, the questionable medical device collection. Nice. The, the dichotomy. Here are a few highlights. Mm. Or lowlights, as the case may be. There's the foot-powered breast enlarger. Okay. Tell me more. Does it mean I get to well, rub my feet on... Well, the picture's worth a thousand <laughs> words, but unfortunately this is a podcast. But it's basically two cups that you put over your breast, and it creates a vacuum as you pump it, and it results in bruising and no uh, larger breasts. I really So it's thought... a foot pump to create the vacuum. Basically, yes. Well, I re- I the really bruising thought... could cause swelling. <laughs> I suppose. I really thought I was going to get to rub my feet on somebody's boobs. <laughs> There's also the prostate gland warmer uh, from oh. 1918. Tell me more. Hold on a second. Uh-huh. I thought I, I'm pretty sure where the prostate gland is. It's pretty warm naturally. <laughs> but if you bring it up just a little bit more, <laughs> it promised to stimulate the abdominal brain. <laughs> No, no, I know what he's talking about. Come on, guys. We know we've got a second brain. Abdominal brain. Down near the... Abdominal brain. It's a little bit lower than that, but come on. All right. All right. right. The device consists of a 4.25-inch probe and a blue light bulb and a socket on a nine-foot cord. (laughs) What? When plugged in, the blue light bulb did indeed light up. Nobody bought this, did they? I get the sense that eventually, uh, you know, ostensibly it's medicine, but really it's more of a sex toy. Right. I could be wrong right. about that. But the, the, the sex toy disguised burn, as a medical device. A, with the burninating blue light. <laughs> and the same could be said, yeah. said for recto rotor. What? <laughs> Advertised as the latest and most efficient invention for the quick relief of piles, constipation, and prostate trouble. And oh. you can see pictures of all these at museumofquackery.com. Quick relief via substitution of an even more heinous problem. <laughs> I'll give you something to cry about. Sorry? No, they're not all ass Just the best ones. Just the ones that Torn finds the most entertaining or ass-related. There was a depilatory machine remove, that removed unwanted hair with x-rays and ultimately caused cancer in thousands of women who oh! paid for the treatment. Oh! oh wow, wow. That's less of a Brazilian... Although in, in Sears uh, in the 1950s, you could... If you were trying on new shoes and you wanted to see how your foot fit inside the shoe, you could put it over right. an x-ray box. Yeah, you can see. And, and the one in the Museum of Quacker, they got, I believe, in the 80s from a shoe store. They still had it. Yeah. So you could check your fit. You could, yeah, you can you x-ray your foot while it's in the shoe and you would to like see, see how well it fits. Through the shoe. Yeah. That's correct. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. That is a bad idea. The depilatory is less of a Brazilian and more of a Chernobylian. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, Radithor was premixed radium water manufactured in New Jersey during the 1920s. The manufacturer called it a cure for the living dead, meaning a cure the... for mental illness. Oh. <laughs> the mentally <laughs> ill are zombies? <laughs> Wow, and and then you give them irradiated water, and that is going to cure them. Well, like, well, you see, such an enlightened attitude inevitably gives rise to an enlightened cure. Uh huh. Because you glow after you drink it. 
One of Radathor's fans was Eben Byers, a steel tycoon in Pittsburgh who drank who drank 1,400 bottles of Radithor and became so ill with radium poisoning <laughs> that portions of his mouth and jaw were surgically removed before he died in 1931. Oh. And his death, noted on the front page of the New York Times, marked the beginning of the end of the popular radium water cures. But radium was in a lot of things. Irradiated condoms. Yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> they also had... Uh... It's a kind of birth control. Yeah, I'm not 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I am not 100% what the purpose of an irradiated condom was. It's like, why? Health. Or maybe in the dark, you glow so you could see where you were going. That's true. I can't find it. Get next yeah. to Nutex. I think it's got. <laughs> it's not. It's probably pronounced New Tex. Probably pronounced New Tex. But uh, yeah, three rubber prophylactics. Sold for protection against disease. R- radium. Radium New Tex. I'm going with Nut X. <laughs> you would. Carefully inspected and tested, but definitely not tested against cancer causing. Uh, you could also get athletic supporters with radium in them. Oh! What? Why? Plus, bougie. A bougie, which is a rod of wax inserted into u- the urethra to counteract damage uh, done from self abuse. From s- self abuse? Meaning masturbation? And I would like to read the. Official ad for Vita Radium Suppository. If you could, I would just like to say, if you abuse yourself while (laughs) masturbating, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Or you know, I mean, it just could be your your particular peccadillo. Well, and then you don't need to like stop yourself from abusing yourself. Vita Radium Suppositories. Our Vita Radium Suppositories, high strength, are one of the outstanding triumphs of radium science. These suppositories are guaranteed to contain real radium in the exact amount for most beneficial effect. They are inserted per rectum, one each night, this being one of the several practical and successful ways of introducing radium into the system. <laughs> per rectum? <laughs> per... Yes. Yeah, don't... So, so if you have two rectums, you need to take double the dose? No, no, no. If you, if you have two <laughs> rectums, you don't share the same suppository. Oh, well, that's just common sense. That's disgusting. Per is just Latin for via. Okay. Yeah. After insertion, the suppository quickly dissolves and the radium is absorbed by the walls of the colon. Then, within a few minutes, it enters the bloodstream and traverses the entire body. Every tissue, every organ of the body is bombarded by its health-giving electric atoms. (laughs) Thus, the use of these suppositories has an effect on the human body like recharging has on an electric battery. (laughs) And remember, radium taken into the system remains for months, continuing its curative, (laughs) restorative work. Thus, the effects are not merely temporary. Vita Radium Suppositories are guaranteed to be non-injurious. They are perfectly safe for anyone to use. Their actions do solely to the radium contained therein. Wow. Oh, my God. Could they have been more wrong? Like, honestly. You know, for all the good it did, I could have shoved it up my ass. (laughs) You could be none more wrong. That is 180 degrees wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is the wrongness than which none greater can be conceived. It's the ontological argument for Satan. Like, pretty much every word and phrase and sentence in that entire document is wrong. On every level. Well, I think that 
it does get absorbed, so that okay. part was right. Yeah, it, does yeah, cor- yeah. it does. It does have lasting let's, effect. Let's 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 agree to what they get right. It, you, okay. you put it up your. It butt does enter the bloodstream and traverse the entire body. I, yes. I would guess it does. That's what your colon does. It absorbs mm-hmm. the things that are in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. And fair so enough. Does bathe the tissue in. Fair enough. I am. I am. I am. I am chastised. And charged electrons. What was the? Uh, and therefore healthy. What was the phrase about the electrons? Bombard with electric atoms. Electric atoms. Electric atoms. <laughs> alpha particles. Yes. <laughs> oh God. In case so. anyone's wondering what alpha particles do to you, by the way, you can just look up the Litvinenko yes. scandal, right? Which we which spoke we about, about radio in our radioactivity yes. episode way, way back when. In the news. <laughs> duck at the end there (laughs) quackery july 2011 so very recently Uh news a quebec woman died at a farmhouse while she was undergoing a detox program that consisted of excessive sweating through being wrapped in blankets mud and plastic and then encased in cardboard boxes it was the cardboard (laughs) another woman went to the hospital with her but survived They were both unconscious when emergency services arrived at the rented farmhouse early Friday morning. At least 10 people were undergoing the detox treatments at the time, which lasted for several hours and did not include drinking water. Neighbors had previously complained to police about the farmhouse after hearing loud screaming on the property. Oh, screen therapy. If they had taken some homeopathic remedies, they would have lived. Oh, that is the lesser of two evils. Mm -hmm. Because it would have been some nice, clean, refreshing water. Exactly. it, It cures dehydration. This is uh, formerly news. September 1987. Lori Atikian died from malnutrition and pneumonia in 1987 at the age of eight months. When she died, she was nearly bald, covered with deep red rashes, and so emaciated that the paramedics thought they were being tricked by being given a doll to treat. Uh, this, <laughs> this isn't Teddy Ruxpin. This is, no, you know... Gerhard Hanswill, the doctor, and that's in quotes, the doctor treating the girl, says he learned herbology in Germany through self-study and books. Mm. In 1972, he obtained a mail-order doctoral degree in naturopathy, or naturopathy, I'm not sure the right way to say that, uh, from Bernadian University, located at that time in, guess, are you going to guess it, Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> where <laughs> all of the good medical schools are. Right next to the... 24-hour chapel. Hey, anytime, anytime you're at your medical school and you hear this noise 24-7, ding, 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 Every time you can hear that when you're studying for your medical school, probably... Yeah, you're the, probably a redneck. The Bernadine Bernard- University was closed down in 1976 by the Nevada, Nevada Commission on Post-Secondary Education. Wow, I didn't wow. know there was one. So <laughs> That surprises me. Lori's mom was convinced by Hans Will that the baby must be kept pure. No vaccines, no ultrasounds, and a vegetarian diet. Hans Will sold the family overpriced... Wait, mother's milk isn't vegetarian. Oh, Ooh. my goodness. Hans Will sold the family overpriced products for the care of the baby. When Lori became ill, she was treated with royal jelly, cell salts, which is homeopathy, and an, and an herbal concoction brewed by Hans Will. Uh, he also treated Lori with an, with an electromagnetic vitalizing machine that, uh, quote, stimulates the blood and has mm-hmm. attachments such as an electrified comb that, quote, livens up the hair. The parents testified that they became very concerned about Lori's condition, but that Hanswill assured them that it was normal for clumps of her baby's hair to fall out and not to worry if Lori didn't gain weight. 
Guess the comb wasn't working. <laughs> I guess not. Hanswell told Sonia that taking Lori to a hospital would be like, quote, holding a loaded gun to Lori's head and pulling the trigger. As opposed to an electrified comb. And hey, <laughs> they sent her to the hospital and she died, so that must be right. Uh, he was, uh, obviously. Another red flag that we could bring up at this stage of the game is mm-hmm. if you're consulting with somebody, whether they, they call themselves a physician or a naturopath or whatever, and they tell you not to bother checking with anybody else. Yeah. You know, there's no need for a second opinion or a second opinion would be like holding a gun to their head. Then perhaps, perhaps you're dealing with a quack. If your health care provider is causing your baby's hair to fall out, seek a second opinion. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Or, that's good medical advice from Dr. Rob. Also, babies are supposed to gain though. weight. I mean, that's their whole job is to grow, <laughs> that's right? All you're supposed yeah. to do. Like, you have one job to scream and to grow larger. And yeah. poop. And so if somebody who claims to be a physician is like, don't worry if your baby doesn't, gr- doesn't gain weight, that's like saying, don't worry if your baby doesn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Like, they're supposed to do that. Am I, I, don't I, have am I a wrong? Baby. I don't have a baby, but I suspect you're right, Joe. Yeah, I don't have a baby either. And mm-hmm. it's because I don't want to have to be worried about making sure they gain weight. <laughs> Somehow those babies become adults, and they seem much bigger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happens. Swelling. We are Swelling. creating a smaller, healthier population. <laughs> smaller, healthier, and hairless. The, yeah. the problem with adults is that they're bigger and hairy. <laughs> We're going to raise new adults that are tiny and hairless and far more healthy. He's shining the spotlight on the large and haired population. April 2007, Russell Jenkins shunned conventional treatment for his foot injury after he trod on an electrical plug at home. Okay. He instead tried the ancient remedy of putting honey on it. Uh, What? But his toes later went black and began to stink. Oh, gangrene. Neither Mr. Jenkins nor partner Cherie Cameron, a former nurse... What? Wow. Sought medical help. The 52-year-old would have had a 30% chance of survival if he had sought treatment just two hours before he died. Uh, Russell Jenkins' condition was inappropriately and ineffectively treated by himself and by others and led to his death, said David Horsley, coroner for Southeast Hampshire. Jenkins ran the Quiet Mind Center from his home in South Sea Hampshire, and he injured his foot and developed a two-centimeter-long ulcer. Yeah, the, the, I guess this quiet mind was uh, as a result of not having anything of quality inside of it. It's quiet. Too quiet. <laughs> How come when his toes turned black, he didn't think to himself, now's the time to go get it checked up? Uh, he did. He went to a homeopath. Oh, of course. He sought alternative advice from homeopath Susan Finn, who suggested he treat it with manuka honey. Oh, that's an infection. Honey helps infections. Okay. All right. Even though it's black and smelling funny, mm-hmm. it's a bit further along than an infection. We can bring it back. All right. Honestly, the the person I point the most accusing finger at is his companion and nurse. Former, former nurse. Former nurse. She gave all that up for a reason, Kevin. <laughs> or maybe she was forced out. <laughs> that's, that's the person I jacuse because they actually have medical training. You just said I, I accuse in French. Yes. <laughs> I know. Uh, je know. <laughs> je say. Pop culture? For you, our listener, I sat through the entire two hours plus of Pete's Dragon. Oh. Oh, boy. Okay. What From is 1977, the live-action Disney movie. I saw the song right. that you linked for us. It was painful. <laughs> wow. It was painful. With the dragon being animated? Yes. I mean, I've seen it. And that was the problem is the dragon wasn't in that song. I think if there was an animated dragon, I might have enjoyed it more. Mm. Yeah, there was a, the reason it's brought up for quackery is because one of the many ridiculous plot lines in the movie was 
this character, Doc Terminus, who is a, basically a snake oil salesman. Okay. And he comes into town and he's, you know, when he comes in town, there's a song. Yeah. Musical. Mm-hmm. He's been in the town before, but he's come back and all the people are like complaining, get out of town. You made my hair turn pink. <laughs> oh, comedy. Et cetera. Quality et cetera. comedy. Yeah. Uh, but and he's, he's the back. Who, he's, and he's the one who keeps seeing the dragon everywhere, right? No, no, no. He doesn't believe in the dragon. It's his uh, partner, played by Red Buttons, okay, who was hanging out with Mickey Rooney uh-huh. in a bar, and Mickey Rooney's seen the dragon, so Mickey Rooney takes oh. Red Buttons to see the dragon, etc., etc. We sure they weren't chasing the dragon. There's a heroin scene in Pete's Dragon? Or is it just all one big, huge thing to represent heroin? Children's yeah. movies used they to have were, lovable quote, alcoholics. They yeah. were, quote, in a bar, opium den. One of the weird things is he comes into town, he's just selling fake remedies, and he's happy with, you know, he's, well, I presumably he's happy with that. Yeah. He's not complaining. He's doing his thing. He's doing his thing. Yeah. Then when he finds out in, there's a dragon in town... He wants to kill the dragon and take all of the dragon's parts mm-hmm. to make remedies out of. Right. Because the remedies. Would actually work then. I, I guess in theory. Presumably. From, from he'd, whatever, a, well, he'd be a dragon oil salesman. I guess so. I guess it's like so. snake times but a thousand. He knows that he's lying. Why doesn't he just say it's made from dragon? That's my point exactly. Okay. Right. right. But according to the book he's, he reads. Dragon livers can cure a cold. Dragon powder grows hair. With dragon blood, you'll never grow old. Something, something, something not important to our story. Etc. 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 So yeah, Pete's dragon. Yeah, I mean, I remember enjoying it as a kid, but probably because I, you know, you're fascinated with the technology at the time, is seeing an animated creature interacting with live action characters. Right? I was just amazed that this movie was over two hours long. It was 1977, uh, huh? Yeah. That sounds about right. I'm guessing for a kids movie for starters. I'm guessing it got creamed kids, kids by. Just, you know, we just get if we really like it. Kids just want you to start playing it over again from I the beginning. I'm guessing right? it got creamed by Star Wars. Yeah, I'm thinking so. <laughs> I, I, I hey, wait! Kids I know what we'll put up against Star Wars: a movie about a lovable alcoholic who has the delirium tremens and sees dragons. <laughs> I I I have a fond remembrance of Pete's Dragon from my youth. Chris Woods from Horse Track Hooligans wanted to uh, make sure we mentioned the Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson video for Say, Say, Say. Say, 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 what you want, don't leave me, direction. Something like that. In which they play snake oil salesmen. And then they have these shills in the audience yeah. who right. were like, yes, yeah, they, this worked for me. Yeah, they, they totally like pretty much worked through every kind of like old school con yeah. in the course of the video. Yeah, I remembered enjoying the video, but just not the song. The song was a bit tepid. And then there's Grandpa versus Sexual Inadequacy episode of The Simpsons. I don't remember that by the title. What, what happened in that one? Uh, Marge and Homer's sex life is struggling, and Grandpa perks things up with a homemade revitalizing tonic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grandpa and they basically Simpsons. do the same thing, yeah. And then they go yeah. father and son around. Uh, don't That's they, right. They do a traveling thing, Homer yeah. and yeah. Grandpa? Yeah, they do the same thing. They have the truck full of the bottles of tap water or whatever it is. How about Road to Wellville? Seen it. Was it good? I, I can't remember about, if I've seen this it. This is about this... Kellogg, the Kellogg. maker of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Correct. And his whole kind of – now, he was a doctor. Yeah, but he, he was a kook. Like, he was kook, but he wasn't like he wasn't like harming people. He just had weird ideas. This this movie surprisingly had a cast of thousands. Like as as 
you know, sort of tepid and tasteless as the film ended up being itself. I mean, there was Matthew Broderick, John Cusack, right. uh, um, Dana Carvey. Anthony Hopkins Anthony, as Dr. Kellogg. Dr. Kellogg, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Flynn Boyle. The classic people show up who are kind of ill in a number of different ways, and they kind of stay ill while they're there, right. and in some cases get even ill. Kellogg or, had, actually had like a sanitarium. Yes, the, 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 the whole movie takes place at the sanitarium, which is called Wellville, which is oh, why okay. the movie is The Road to Wellville. I wanted to mention in Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. game. One of your Love all-time it. favorites. One of my all-time favorites. There is a side quest in the Broken Steel downloadable content, uh, the Amazing Aquacura, in which you investigate a ghoul, ghoul being basically a radioactive zombie, mm-hmm. as um, one of the many He probably wore characters. those radium condoms. <laughs> he might have, yeah. <laughs> he had a snake oil operation where he would sell radioactive water as a cure, much like a ratathor. That's right. <laughs> uh, the as, thing is- as a cure to the condition for the ghouldom. Which oh, is okay. just people who've been exposed to radiation and basically become radioactive zombies, horribly ugly, losing their skin. But and in Fallout, the actual ghouls are cured by radiation. It, radiation will heal the ghouls. Yeah, it will heal. It will heal their. It doesn't cure their condition. No, no, no. no. Well, sorry, that's. I, I meant it will heal. Yeah, if you're damaged and yeah. you're a ghoul, you will get healed by radiation. Yeah, exactly. Right. Dr. Rob, does this sound like it has a medical backup to it? <laughs> no, well, no, no. This pre- is in fantasy fallout world. But in the pre-antibiotic era, sometimes bad infections would be treated with x-ray tubes. Exposure, direct exposure to high-dose radiation. Mm, that would work. Is that good right? or bad? Well, uh, <laughs> in the 40s, that's the option. Yeah. <laughs> okay. High-dose radiation or death. I'll take the radiation, please. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> If you'd like to learn more about unproven cures and look into a lot more depth on this, there's just so much to cover. We really want to suggest you check out quackwatch.org. They also have a Quackwatch podcast, which has won the podcast awards in health the last three years. There's also whatstheharm.net, which will tell you what's the problem with believing that homeopathy works. If it's just water, it's not going to hurt anybody, right? You can go there and find out all sorts of information on actual harm that's been caused by people following these kinds of cures that don't work. 